0: Good morning. Please turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 6. A couple of pieces of announcements um, just uh, to bring up as we move forward, trying to give you an idea of where we're going. Um, we're in Romans 6 today. We're going to be in uh, Romans 6 again next week uh, with the illustrious Madam Elder Bissett. And um, after that, we're going to move into this season of Advent. And <clears throat> I don't know if we've had any uh, talk of, like, decorating the church. Sometimes they, we, we, I guess we do that every year. Um, so if you uh, are the kind of person that just filled with the Christmas spirit and you just want things to glow, this is your opportunity. Uh, I think we're going to be needing people to step up to do that over the next couple of weeks, I suppose, after Crafts or Thanksgiving. Did What? So at any rate, um, and then we're going to be moving into the Advent season, where we'll be in Isaiah uh, for most of Advent, and then a Christmas Eve service in Luke, Um, and then back into Romans after the New Year. So just wanted to mention that. Um, At this point, I'd ask the congregation to please stand for the reading of the Word of God. What shall we say then? Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, as Rick mentioned before, we hauled all kinds of garbage and hate and anger and strife and struggle through these doors today. I would pray... That the brokenness that exists here would be shown your light. That this morning we would embrace this word that says, death no longer has dominion over us for those of us that are in Christ. That to God, in God's eyes, we are alive. In the most holy name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, we're plowing on today through our Roman series, as we'll continue to do until the next Star Wars movie comes out. <laughs> well, I looked on the website, and it said that it would, we're doing this until 2015. And I'm like, oh, I have something to look forward to in 2015. So, there you go. Something to do till then. <laughs> Before we go any further, I want to I give you my point. Um, I believe that the Christian journey is a process, and I also believe that change is immediate. If you're expecting Jesus to do something radical in your life and give you this completely new identity, that can be taken care of this morning. However, if you desire Jesus to do something radical in your life and give you a completely new identity, I believe he is welcoming you into a journey that will most definitely take the rest of your life. Christian, when you have committed yourself to being a Jesus follower, I believe that you are welcomed into a new identity, a new ownership, new creation. But the mark of those things is a commitment to the story of creation to new creation, And the belief that you have a part to play, whether your journey with Christ started years ago or has begun this morning, you can count on the truth that, Lord willing, it will continue for years to come. Let's consider what Paul is saying here. Uh, his first point at the top of chapter 6, I know we talked about this the past couple of weeks, but the, the first point is just this rather basic point. Well, shall we continue continue in sin so that grace may abound? Well, think about it. Grace is a good thing, right? We want lots of grace. It's grace. Great that grace is going to abound. We want it to abound. We want God's love to to flow upon us in abundance. So maybe it stands to reason, right, that the only way we welcome more of God's grace is to sin more. That thought may be absurd, but I'm pretty sure that all of us have encountered this, whether it be in our own lives or in the lives of other people that we have um, come across in our lives. Years ago, uh, when I was in high school, uh, I took a job as a dishwasher and I remember my friends always used to uh, tell me I was disgusting because my hands turned like all chappy. I was supposed to wear gloves. (laughs) Um, But the gloves got in the way, and I couldn't work as fast when I was wearing the gloves. Um, Anyway, so I'm washing dishes, and when I was in high school, I was a bit of a, a loud Christian. I don't know, you know, not to say that's a bad thing. It's a good thing to be allowed Christian. But I wore a lot of, like, Christian shirts and stuff like that that had, like, Jesus on the cross. Like, you know, um, maybe not the most humble thing I could have done, I'll be honest with you. But um, it did lead to a lot of conversations. It did do a lot of good conversations. And one of the conversations that I remember was with this prep cook that worked at the restaurant. And we got into talking about, you know, girls I was dating or, you know, things that was going on in his life. Um, and he was telling me, he he would tell me about um, kind of these crazy little adventures that he'd met, he'd get into, uh, whether or not um, he was in a bar a little too late or got into a fight or, you know, whatever it is that was going on in his life. And I tried very hard not to be you know judgmental in this you know with this person i just kind of was like oh that's you know an interesting story and and i was wearing the shirt one day and he he i remember him saying to me isn't that great that jesus died for our sins it's like a license to sin man and i was like wow i was 15 16 years old at the time i i'd never really done that business um of trying to think of it like that. I mean, that certainly wasn't what I was uh, hearing at the pulpit of the church we attended. Um, and I was like, really? That's the way you see it? You, you see this as a as a license to just to do whatever destructive thing that you think comes along, because you're right in, in saying that God's grace is going to abound. He's like, God's love is so strong that I can go out, party, have sex with whoever I want, because God's going to constantly forgive me. The term, <laughs> the term that Paul uses here, the commentators tell me, uh, is one of shocked recoil. Of course not, God forbid, certainly not, by no means. I should hope not. Far be the thought. Absolutely not. Have you gone round the bend? time to repent. It's time to welcome the new identity that Christ is offering you. It's time to put to death that old self and feel the cleansing water of Christ's blood that will welcome you into resurrection. Don't get me wrong, friends. I'm not here to tell you today that following a list of certain rules and regulations, will going to bring you into God's fold, but none but our Lord have deserved God's love. But the good news is, is that the cross and the empty tomb announce new life. In Titus, Paul puts uh, puts it this way. Turn with me to Titus 3. Starting uh, in in chapter 3, verse 3. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living out malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but by according to his mercy, he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly, Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Good works. Well, just what am I being called to here? Just what is God doing in my life? Actually, come to think of it, is, is it my life anymore? If I am under new ownership, if I am under this new dominion, what does that actually look like? One of the words in today's text that stuck out to me is the word united. And I'm not sure that this is exactly what Paul had in mind uh, and meant to say in this sentence, but it stuck out to me as kind of a sidebar, real quick, um, that we have been united together in the likeness of not only his death, but also his resurrection. Um, now, of course, I see that the first and foremost point is that we are united together with Christ. But as a quick sidebar, I wanted to, re- I was reminded in another study this week that spiritual formation happens most profoundly in the context of a group. See, the point is not you and God versus the world. Look at the people around you. Look at the people in this room, the people that make up our church or our family, our communities. We are in this thing together. This life and death thing. We are in this together. In the words of Jack Shepherd, if we can't live together, we're gonna die alone. Paul takes it a step further and apparently tells us that. Just as we die together, we also live together. But you take another step on this. Before you take another step on this journey, I'd ask you to preferably consider what roles your family and friends play in the story of your life and the larger story of creation to new creation. Paul continues in verse 6 to remind us that our old man, our old self, was nailed to the cross alongside of Jesus so that this body of sin might be done away with. Recognizing and shedding old bad habits will be a part of living out that death. What is it for you? Is it sexual immorality, covetousness, maliciousness, envy, anger, deceit, violence? What do you need to be free from? Disobedience to authority? What is it that that God is whispering in your ear? You don't have to live like this anymore. A refusal to forgive others, perhaps. A refusal to ask for forgiveness. Friends, we are here to remind each other that a better life is offered. We're here to remind each other that we don't have to live like that. Christ died for the ungodly sin no longer has dominion over us regardless of however much we realize that sin continues to be this present reality we need to remind each other that we are under new ownership and that jesus invites us not only to nail those things that distance us from god to the cross but also to live out with boldness Not just to crawl along, but live out with boldness those things that mark the new creation. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Back to my initial point. This change of identity, it happens fast. But it's also kind of slow. It's also a process. One character from American literature helps to make this point. I thought of this um, after listening to Dr. Stephen Fowle, a preacher a few weeks ago. Uh, in his sermon, he likened this whole death-like imagery, um, new dominion thing to our citizenship. We are in Christ. We, when we are in Christ, we have been welcomed into new citizenship in God's kingdom. No longer do we live in a land dominated by sin, we may take time for the old way. It may take time for the old ways to be retired completely, but as citizens of God's kingdom, we know that sin no longer has control over us. Sin no longer has ownership over us, and that the new life that is offered is abundant. So these truths were given new light for me this week um, as I was listening to the audio of Gordon Wood's book. Uh, American history textbook, *The Empire of Liberty*, would reminded me of the story um, that I think speaks of this text today, or speaks to it. Uh, in the early part of the 19th century, writer Washington Irving developed a sense that his native land was simply not the same place that it had been a generation before. Irving knew that America had recently undergone the radical transformation. Of the revolution, and he expressed this uh, transformation through his story, *Rip Van Winkle*. In the tale, Rip falls asleep in the woods before the revolution and wakes up twenty years later to this profoundly different world. Buildings have changed, uh, faces were different, and the village was larger and more populous. Idleness, except among the aged, had no longer uh, was no longer tolerated. He described. That something about the very character of the people seemed to be changed. There was a busy, bustling, disputatious tone about it. Instead of the accustomed phlegm and drowsy tranquility, the language was changed as well. Rights of citizens, elections, members of Congress, liberty, and other words that were a perfect Babylonish jargon to the bewildered Van Winkle. Irving paints a picture of Rip standing before the sign at the village inn in which the face of George III was now replaced with the face of General Washington, and an impression is put on his lips that everything's changed. Before 1776, America had been a collection of British colonies that was home to about two million people who lived along the Atlantic coast after the Revolution and the War of 1812, often called the Second American Revolution. These insignificant provinces were now this single giant continental republic with a population that was now pushing 10 million and beginning to expand beyond the Appalachian Mountains. The transformation had affected the way they related to one another and to the way they perceived the world around them. And interestingly enough, Wood points out that these changes had had taken place before industrialization, before urbanization, before railroads, before any of the other technological breakthroughs that, in the, that it in the future would serve as cultural and political catalysts. On one hand, change during this period happened so rapidly that the citizens of this land expected it and prized it. On the other hand, these changes were so complicated, so indeliberate, so much a medley of responses to fast-moving events that Americans scarcely knew how they had progressed from one point to another. Sorry for that history tangent. But for me, I'm listening to this and I'm like, this is exactly what Paul's talking about. Not about America being like, you know, whatever, uh, just about this transformation. And, and it was reminded me of what Dr. Fowle was talking about as this citizenship thing. I'm a resident of a new land, and there's a lot of things about it that might remind me of what happened before. But it's like turning on a light switch. It's like any number of metaphors that we've heard over the years. Everything's changed. And we approach our Lord now with boldness. For me, it was this powerful reminder of that change of identity that we are called to as citizens of God's kingdom. And the slow but very real maturity that we can expect from a God who is committed to our discipleship. Have you ever thought about that? When you think about these issues of death and life, that that our Lord, the one um, who experienced the cross, died on the cross, then was raised days later. This God, this God that we sing about, um, this God that that Colossians talks about, how Jesus holds all things together, and in him all things consist, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, this all-powerful, huge God is utterly committed to your discipleship. I wonder, are you like Rip in this tale? Have you been asleep for some time now to do the work that God, um, have you been asleep for some time to the work that God is doing um, in your midst? Perhaps he's been at work in the lives of your family. Maybe he's been working through the relationship of your marriage or the relationship that you have to your children. Maybe you've been asleep to God's work in your own life. That seems so impossible. James tells us in his letter that we should count it all joy when falling into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Patience. I don't like to hear that. Is it possible that we've spent so much time lamenting our trials and our troubles that we've forgotten to thank God for how we grew through them. On the other hand, maybe you have been intentional about your discipleship. Maybe these small choices that you make today in regards to prayer or study or service to another, they add up to the point where if somebody had walked away from your life for 20 years or whatever um, and then came back to see you years later, they'd see this remarkable change. And they'd say, wow, you're just not the person I knew in high school. Or maybe family members that live out of state and you only see them once a decade or something like that. And then they see you and like, wow, you've grown. And that power to be able to say, God has done amazing things in my life and I need to be awake to it. And that last word that Paul mentions um, in our text for today, I want to leave you with in verse 11. He says, Likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God. The word to there kind of struck out to me. Like You hear it a lot, Um, it's all over this text that we are alive in Christ. But one of the most powerful things I came across in a lot of the commentary that uh, I did on this text, the study that I did on this text, was that several of these biblical scholars brought up that Paul is like frequently personifying sin in Romans. To Mr. Sin, you're dead. But in the eyes of the almighty God, the almighty God looks into your face and says, to me, you're alive. And if God's saying that, does anything else matter? All these lies that we tell ourselves, all of these lies that we tell each other about our value and how we think of ourselves as a devalued human being, perhaps, or as we struggle through anger or depression or, or what all these things, that these, these, these voices that we've been hearing, to be able to look at a text like this and say, to God, I am alive. That's a powerful and encouraging thought. May you leave today knowing that God, in the eyes of God, you're alive. You're not dead. Let's pray. Good Father, thank you for your faithfulness to our community. The work that you do among my friends that are in this room is remarkable. And I cannot begin to thank you enough for just the things that I see, let alone all the little stories, all the little conversations, all the little praises and prayer requests and interconnectivity of our community that I just don't even see. Thank you so much for being alive here. Thank you so much that you look at our community and to you, we are alive. I pray that for those of us that need to do business with the idea that there are things that we need to put to death, that that old man, that old self. There are things that we need to put down. And I pray that as a community we can come along each other and say, you don't have to live like that. To God you are alive. And the cross and the empty tomb means freedom. Freedom in Christ. And new creation. In the most holy name of Jesus Christ I pray. Amen.